We would like to acknowledge that we are on Treaty 6 territory, the gathering grounds of many diverse First Nations, Métis, and Inuit people, whose footsteps have marked this land and whose presence continues to enrich our vibrant community. Hello and welcome back to Research Recasted, the knowledge mobilization podcast. I'm Dylan Cave and I'm here with my co-host Brittany Eklund and our guest today is Dr. Annette Trimby. Dr. Annette Trimby is the sixth president and vice chancellor of McEwen with an academic appointment in the biology department and has been since August 2020. Before that, she was the president and vice chancellor of another downtown, primarily undergraduate university, U Winnipeg from 2014 to 2020. What you may not know is that she also has a long history with the Alberta Public Service, including as a deputy minister in advanced education and treasury board and finance. She chairs the Canadian Research Knowledge Network, as well as sitting on the board of Conversation Canada. Dr. Annette is also a Métis and recently won an Inspire Laureate Award in the education category. Dr. Trimby, thank you so much for joining us here today. Um, we are so excited to have you on the podcast. You know, we've been anticipating it for quite some time. Um, we'd love to begin by hearing about how you came to be the president and vice chancellor of McEwen University and what excites you about McEwen. You know, what brought you here to us? I was excited to come back to Edmonton. I lived here for 25 years before I went back to the University of Winnipeg, which was my undergraduate school. I really like downtown undergraduate universities. I was the deputy minister of advanced ed when McEwen became a university. And I remember the big celebration and all the hopes and aspirations. And it's a really exciting time to be here. It's an exciting time to be back in Edmonton. And it's, you know, even more exciting where we're bringing most of our uh, (laughs) off campuses downtown where our, you know, fine arts and communications are now downtown over the past uh, five years and uh, all the things moving forward there. So well, and also I think that, you know, we really as an institution are gaining momentum in people's minds as not just the community college um, in Edmonton. And that is one of the entire reasons that we have this podcast was to advertise that, uh-huh. you know, serious research happens here, serious collaboration happens here. Um, and it's coming from the community and it's coming from people that are that are getting down to business. McEwen <laughs> <laughs> means business. Yeah, we mean business. Um, so on that vein, because we are a research podcast, uh, we'd really love to hear about your relationship with research and what has excited you as a researcher throughout your career. I am an aquatic ecologist uh, who at one time spent most of my summers outside on the lake, in the lab, peering through microscopes, collecting water, fabulous, fabulous sun tan. And I am, you know, really excited to be part of a university that uh, is embracing its research and scholarly work. And again, in our our vision, uh, we talk about being a trendsetter and a trend breaker. And my sense was um, McEwen wasn't really talking enough about the incredible scholarship that is happening here and the positive impact that's having on our community, as well as talking about the benefits to our students to being taught by professors who are scholars and to students for being involved in research, because you learn a lot of transferable skills for almost anything you do once you leave McEwen. And in terms of my own research, uh, you might wonder how a person who studied 
blue-green algal blooms, which are kind of timely right now if you very, have a cottage. Very, very timely. And by the way, if you see those things that look like little grass clippings, that's Aphanizomenon floss aquae. And I spent a lot of time counting uh, strands and counting cells. And, um, you know, I'm probably one of those people, you could see me as a bit of a blue-green algal chaser rather than a runner away from. So I learned a lot about systems, about how if you poke something here, something else happens over there. And ironically, um, you know, I think the lessons I learned during my PhD helped me become uh, a reasonably good deputy minister of Treasury Board and Finance because systems are systems, right? Yeah. And if you poke one thing over here, (laughs) absolutely. I mean, that's really um, fascinating and interesting. Also, like just the journey from, you know, out knee deep in a in a pond somewhere and then coming all the way to your work with government, is there a way that then your work in the private um, or public sector then informed your path to coming back to an academic? Oh, definitely. I I often, uh, when I first went to the University of Winnipeg, would get asked, what's the difference between being a deputy minister and being a university president? And I would say, being a university president is kind of like being a deputy minister and a minister, except you don't have a party, you don't have a cabinet, you don't actually have a department, you don't actually have anybody who works for you, because universities, the way I see them, are like a community of startups. Our faculty members, our students, have to be very self-motivated. Our faculty members have to generate ideas for what to research. They have to go out and seek funding. Uh, so it's it's very different than other hierarchical environments. And being a university president is much more political. You have many, many bosses. You have to think about past students, current students, future students. You have a board of governors. You have a general faculties council. You interact with community. It's really dynamic. It's really exciting. I love both of those leadership roles, the thread that runs through them is at the end of the day, they're both about developing talent and developing people and unleashing their potential. So they're they're both leadership positions that uh, require great listening skills, great observation skills, great sense-making skills. Wait a minute. Isn't that what you learn as an undergraduate doing (laughs) research at McEwen? Oh, exactly. And that kind of leads us into our next next thing about like our, our strategic vision and you being a key contributor to that. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about how research at McEwen fits into the vision and is setting trends uh, and breaking trends? Universities around the world have three roles and they're all related. Teaching, researcher scholarly work. And if I keep saying research, what I mean is the whole umbrella, okay? And different disciplines might focus on one word or the other. And I know at McEwen it's important to talk about scholarship in its broadest sense. But I'm going to probably say research more often uh, than some people may like, but I want you to understand why. It's just, it relates to my origins as a researcher. So we teach, we research, and we serve the public good. Where universities differ is in the balance of those three roles. So across the river, the University of Alberta would be seen as a more research-intensive university. We would be seen as a more teaching-intensive university. Our focus in the strategic vision and directions on teaching greatness is to reinforce that we don't see research being done at the expense of teaching. We see research as contributing to making our teachers 
better teachers. And in fact, I listened to one of your recent podcasts and Cynthia Pudu put it really well. She said, simply put, you know, I'm a better teacher now that I've had a research leave for a year. Like I'm so inspired to be back in the classroom. I've got some new things. Who doesn't want to be taught by somebody who's leading in their field, by somebody who has the fundamentals, but is challenging everything as they go? That's what makes university exciting. That's what makes us different than high school. And that's just what makes sense. You know, exactly. it's, it's it's a great way to learn. And I know for, coming from a music perspective as well is a lot of uh, my colleagues that are um, music teachers, they learn they are such better players because they're constantly in their in their field learning and and doing the they're better teachers because they're performing at these clubs and, and doing all these events and then coming back. And that's that informs their teaching. And I also hear from many faculty, not only here, but other institutions, they they keep learning in part because they're also learning from all of the students that they are interacting with, right? So it's about the fundamentals and challenging them and being challenged. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, we've talked about teaching greatness and, and kind of setting trends and breaking trends, but I'm curious about what are some of the other kind of pillars of the strategic plan and the vision for McEwen going forward? We have five big directions that, um, we didn't number for a reason, although we did title the overall plan Teaching Greatness. And I love Teaching Greatness, the double entendre there. Great teachers, um, great students. And, you know, I, I thought of um, an embarrassing situation for me when I was in uh, elementary school. And this was uh, a long time ago when there was less parental student um, parent-teacher interaction. And I remember my dad on my report card wrote, great marks mean great teaching. And I said, why are you, why are you writing that? Why aren't you just saying way to go on it? Why are you paying the teacher a compliment? But, but it, it, it really struck a chord and I, I'm kind of impressed that my dad actually, um, you know, took the time to, to thank the teacher. But anyways, teaching greatness, again, to reassure people, we haven't lost that special part of what makes McEwen, McEwen. Um, we were a community college. We are a university we are still very engaged in community, and it is about teaching and pedagogy and students and getting to know students by name and having faculty who are really passionate about that student journey. So teaching greatness, overarching. The second one, um, we had a lot of fun. I, I look at the clock tower. My office is close to that, and I'm kind of obsessed with time. My research was on blue-green algae, but it was also on disturbances to ecosystems at different frequencies and different magnitudes and how systems respond and how the species within them respond at different rates and how if you look at a particular situation, you, you might think you can understand cause and effect, but really there's a whole bunch of things happening at different speeds. So if you think about uh, McEwen and our clock tower and academic calendar, it kind of implies like everything's very rigid and everything's very you know, predictable. And truth is, our lives are not, uh, our students' lives are not, our students are very uh, diverse. So smashing the calendar was our way of saying that um, we care about outcomes, we care about your journey, we want to do whatever we can to make it more flexible for you. We have diplomas and certificates, it's easy to come in, it's easy to go, it's easy to come back. We want to find ways to allow students to do a four-year degree in three years. We want to move quickly with micro-credentials and so on. And there are a number of policies we need to have a more careful look at, and uh, you know we're very committed to doing so. 
going um, with technology, more hybrid is only a part of that. And sometimes when people see smash the calendar, I get asked, does that mean you're going to go online? No, absolutely not. We are a place-based university. What we teach, what we research is very much influenced by where we are, and we see the city as our campus. So smashing the calendar. Next one, Grandis Griffins. Well, our women's soccer team won the nationals. I used to chair U Sports, so I'm kind of into sports, and I was really, really surprised and pleased that that happened. An amazing team, uh, a group of players that uh, work so well together. And Grandis Griffin, to me, um, let's have a little fun. You know the magical qualities of the Griffin, and um, our students get work-integrated learning experiences. They get to do experiential learning. You know, I just love to hear about that design class that went out and came up with ideas for how to make the Edmonton Transit Service a little safer. Uh, this is what students remember. So ideally, you want our graduates to go out and be leaders, leaders in their fields. And to be leaders, you need to be a whole person. To be a whole person, you have to learn uh, in a variety of ways, right? Mm -hmm. So that grand is Griffin. Again, um, let's reach for the stars. Let's be grand. Next one, trendsetters and trend breakers. Again, I, I wanted to remind people that... Um, uh, scholarly work, research is very much a part of what we do. And we have positive benefits in our community. And again, uh, with our students, they leave with a greater set of skills because they've had that opportunity. And perpetual motion, we have aspirations to grow to uh, 30,000 students by 2030. This isn't crazy. Uh, you just look at the demographics. Uh, you look at what the province is saying they need. You look at what industry is saying they need. You look at what civil society is saying they need. Uh, the students are going to come our way, and we need to grow in areas of strength, and uh, we need to grow in, in a strategic fashion, in a sustainable fashion. And part of that uh, requirement to grow is uh, we do need some more facilities. We need a new building um, on 109th and 105th, a, a business building, and that will help us get to that 2030 uh, target. And then, of course, we're mindful of where we are. We talk about honoring our place in O'Damon. Um, indigenization, reconciliation, sustainability, equity, diversity, uh, sustainability. I think I said that already. Anyways, it's it's how we do things, right? right? So so it's not just what we do, it's how we do. That is what people remember because that is how they feel about being here. What gives students a sense of pride is, you know, I believe they want to accomplish more than what you see on a transcript. And I've had the pleasure of meeting with lots of alumni from many institutions in Canada, and they inevitably talk about that uh, turning point, that moment where somebody, you know, kind of lit the fire, said, hey, you know, you got something special. Or, you know, their first publication, their first performance, their first podcast, whatever. <laughs> uh, these are the experiences we want to give people. So I'm really excited about some of the parts. And, and it's it's a plan not like others. Um, and it's, it, it's, it doesn't pretend we can write a manual and describe what each and every person at this university is going to do for the next 10 years. Universities are the sum of the people in those universities and all of the decisions that get made. The Board of Governors makes some, General fa Faculty Council makes some, but so do individuals every day. It's a community that's, uh, you know, got a great sense of purpose. And, you know, that's part of some of the things that we even deal with with our student association and having these student committees mm -hmm. um, to kind of inform some of the some of the, the decision-making or at least give their input on it anyway. Um, but we're also really engaged in community uh, community engaged scholarship. <laughs> um, and so if we wanted to talk a little bit more about um, the community community engagement on, on why, you know, why do we want to go, why is community so important to McEwen moving <laughs> forward? 
um, with the strategic vision? Again, think about where we are in the community around us and think about some of the challenges the community around us is facing. McEwen brings 20,000 people a day when everybody's back, which I haven't actually experienced. I haven't, you know, found it difficult to walk through the halls. Like I haven't been squashed or anything like I'm at a Rolling Stones concert, but I hear, (laughs) I hear it can be like that. Uh, But we bring a lot of energy downtown and I tell people don't see us like an anchor institution. That's kind of, sounds kind of slow. Uh, See us as, you know, this, this bundle of energy, young people with ideas, right? So uh, we bring a lot of people downtown. Um, the neat part about community-engaged research is we don't sit in an ivory tower speculating what their research questions are. You can just go out and ask. Yeah. And you can go work with a community group you know, within walking distance and see the tangible impact of your work. So that's, uh, I think, the beauty of being part of a downtown university. When I first started to talk about downtown university, some people thought I was suggesting that we only attract students from downtown. I said, no, it influences how we be, so to speak, right? So so the city is our campus and people uh, can experience things in their curriculum that are very tangible and find solutions and create things and form audiences and so on and get off to a good start. And we've like we've spoken with researchers and even student researchers that are already like in our their first year saying you know, I'm working with the community as part of a research project or with a class because the professors that are teaching them are involved in community-based research and it's making them better students and it's connecting them to their field before maybe a four-year practicum. So- Absolutely. And and I like to say uh, we're in the mix. And if you read the literature on downtown universities, there there are some stories of universities not being in the mix, not being good ma- neighbors. And almost this perception of a moat around them and displacing life, so to speak. And the previous university I was at actually uh, was covered on some American talk show as this rare gem that had done these marvelous things with community that was so different than a lot of the universities in the States. McEwen has that same history, that same trajectory. But again, I don't think we've talked enough about it. Like I, I think the people who know, know, but I don't know that in general Edmontonians know of the impact we're having both from a social perspective, from an economic perspective, from a cultural perspective, and even from an environmental perspective. We haven't really threaded that together for them. And and I do think for students, you want to go to a place that um, is seen to be having positive benefits, right? Well, I'm really interested in that because, you know, me starting as a student moving to Edmonton just for university, um, you know, I came to McEwen for a couple reasons. And I mean, one of them, one of the biggest ones was a brand new facility for, <laughs> for music and art and, and all this wonderful stuff. And that was one thing that drew me here. But what kept me here was the community engagement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, starting this podcast um, with the Office of Research really helped me see what a great impact our university is doing in the community and on a global scale. You know, there's just some some amazing things here that I would have uh, never mm-hmm. even heard about unless we started talking about them. And it's great that we're able to have these conversations to let people know that we are community-engaged learning. Well, let's also talk a little bit about knowledge mobilization because, um, you know, I know that some of the people you've featured, there, there was a time when you became an academic and it was all about how many articles you published in what journals. And I'm not saying that doesn't matter anymore, but there's much more to it now. So researchers 
compete for money from Tri-Council. So those are three councils that give out money in natural sciences and engineering, social sciences and the humanities, and health research. And institutions also get uh, CFI money, Canadian Foundation for Innovation money. Very competitive, peer-reviewed. And even those agencies now are asking the applicants how they intend to share their work because it's recognized that to, to truly have impact, you need to reach a lot of larger audience. And attitudes are evolving. I, I remember, you know, early days as a postdoc at U of A, um, if I wanted to hang out with other disciplines and work on a project together with them, the person, um, other people in my lab might be a little suspect. What are you doing hanging out with those economists? Have you? Ha, what are you doing hanging out with those economists? You know, um, we're biologists. Um, but but now, you know, there's much more um, value and understanding of researchers uh, from different disciplines working together, of researchers wanting to be public academics and actually go on talk shows and published in the Conversation Canada and have their research picked up in newspapers. Um, so, so a lot of things have changed since I, I started on my journey, and I think these are all changes for the good. At the end of the day, um, universities are publicly funded uh, to a lesser degree, perhaps today, than they were when I started many years ago. Uh, but to the average person, um, you know, what do they care about? They care about whether uh, the people they care about can get into post-secondary and uh, they, they do like it when we appear to be working on things that are relevant and interesting. And they also do get that it's important that we have people here thinking deep thoughts about things that maybe they haven't thought about or might not think are necessary right now. But there's lots of stories where, um, you know, we face these wicked problems and somebody pops out of a university and, and has a clue and has an answer. And people are grateful from a societal perspective that um, we publicly support research and scholarly work done at universities. Yeah. I mean, McEwen, we do do a lot of research, um, but we are an undergraduate university. Mm -hmm. And so something that we wanted to ask about was like, without a graduate program um, supporting research at the post-secondary level, what are some of the unique challenges for undergraduate student research versus um, graduate research? Well, I've heard Trevor Hamilton speak about that, and I heard a computer science professor uh, speak about that at the Life on the Edge launch. So undergraduates, you might think, have less experience, perhaps less time, because um, unlike graduate students, masters and PhD students, they haven't picked a lane exactly. They're still discovering. But those professors and many others I've talked to are constantly surprised by the incredible talent that undergraduates bring. I myself at the University of Winnipeg a long time ago was so thrilled when I got hired by a professor to work on a research project over the summer. I figured out how to grow corn on the roof. Uh, I figured out that um, I couldn't repeat this staining procedure no matter how hard I tried. I learned patience and I, and I got a sense for the life of an academic and I'm very grateful for that. And then, um, you know, I, I, I do think we have to advocate for ourselves. And I do spend time with Tri-Council reminding them that undergraduates count as high-quality personnel because when you apply for money, you have to demonstrate that uh, the benefits of this research will help grow the research capacity in the country. 
So we're not alone in that. There are many undergraduate universities in Canada where undergraduate students are involved in research and scholarly work. And, um, you know, we need to make that the norm rather than a special story. And at McEwen, it's not just a special story. Many students are having those opportunities now, and I'm really proud of that. So there are some challenges, but uh, the faculty I hear talking about how they work through those challenges, they, they just have such a glint in their eye. So, um, you know, obviously it's working for them. Oh, and 100%. We just, you know, recently spoke with um, Dr. Ross Shaw. <laughs> and to hear that, you know, some of the students that work on the games are getting snatched up by Microsoft yes. or, you know, speaking to student researchers um, that are then going on to graduates and getting accepted into their masters and who are publishing research that is making a difference and already being applied in community settings. So I think that undergraduate students... And an undergraduate degree can offer an incredible wealth of experience and knowledge. Um, and it is great also that we've spoken to many researchers uh -huh. here who are actually working with graduate students in other parts of the country. So, Well, and, and that too, um, many of our faculty members, well, have collaborators all over the country, right? So if you need facilities that are only at three schools in Canada and you're at McEwen, you obviously find a way to tap into those assets and, and you find a way to stay here. So research is very, very collaborative. Um, if you look at uh, the outputs from research, more and more you'll see many, many names. And, um, you know, obviously uh, more and more you'll see students publishing with faculty, publishing with community members, which is also new, right? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, this, I think, is a good place to take a little break. We will be right back. We're here with Dr. Annette Trimby. I've worked in kitchens for a long time, and boy, oh boy, has the world changed when it comes to dietary restrictions. Whether it's people trying to eat a little bit more consciously or the increasing prevalence of food allergies, trying to navigate a potluck isn't getting any easier, I tell you what. Well, look no further than Bloom Cookies. Their whole mission is to make sure that everyone can enjoy a fantastic cookie, regardless of restrictions, uh, unless it's gluten. Uh, but there are no nuts and no animal products, and they're made locally. So skip the Oreos and hit the McEwen convenience store or visit Bloom at their 124th Street storefront and grab a cookie with some substance. Bloom. All right, we are back. So... Dr. Trimby, there are many research metho methodologies that have been identified um, and the list keeps growing. Of course, we have spoken to researchers on our podcast that have really opened our eyes to different kinds of, I don't like to say non-traditional, but new to us at least. <laughs> um, things like photo voice. I know Cynthia Padue used that before. So do you feel that there are some best fits um, when it comes to methodologies for scholarship and knowledge creation here at McEwen? Our faculty are very diverse in terms of um, their interests. And so every discipline has its norms. So when you talk about traditional or alternative, you know, the language varies, right? So um, in my day, the tradition was, for some reason, was, you had to demonstrate um, incredible um, work ethic. And I think I sampled 
Guelph Lake for 110 days in a row. Oh, wow. And I, I'm literally saying I got up early and I took a group together and we collected samples and we worked from, you know, dusk to dawn for 110 days. And it was wow. like a rite of passage. And I had to collect <laughs> this data and I had to do all of this work myself. And today, if I was starting all over again, I would be spending a lot of time mining the data collected by many other people and um, not feeling bad about that. And I know when I came here to do a postdoc, I went to the government and I found out that they had data and they would let me use it. And I was like, Ooh, you know, it's kind of like that Ikea get, I had stop the car, stop the car. Paved, I've got data. Yeah, for I got, everybody else. yeah, I got data and, and I didn't have to go get it myself. So um, it, it really does depend on your field. And obviously, when we talk about methodologies, they are influenced by worldview. So for example, I'm an ecologist. We talked about um, changing paradigms about how we viewed the impact of disturbances and how ecosystems responded. And I remember at the time thinking, hmm, you know, the old way ecology was taught was very much uh, people were at the top. And uh, as a biologist, I didn't think that way. As a Métis person, I didn't think that way. So, you know, from an Indigenous worldview perspective, um, you know, we don't necessarily uh, see things... Um, quite the same way, right? So sometimes when people talk about alternative methodologies, they're talking about uh, not sort of those experiments done in that particular way where you have a hypothesis, you, you test it, you either accept it or reject it, you don't prove anything, right? So, you know, um, what I like is uh, we can do so much more, we can do so much faster. And if you think about, for example, drug discovery and how some of our biologists work, um, everything's, everything's just been sped up with, with big data and machine learning. And so, you know, now, you know, we have to think about, um, we have to think deep thoughts about the ethics of some of the research we're doing. So I, I like uh, the fact that, um, you know, technology is everywhere and, um, you know, we're trying to both use it and understand it and not abuse it. And so for a university like McEwen, we're not likely going to be um, the place chosen to build the next snow lab, for example, or the next triumph system of magnets for the physicists to work on over at UBC. Uh, so, but it doesn't mean that our faculty can't partner with those schools with those assets. Uh, when I listened to Trevor Hamilton and he talked about how in his journey here, he realized he couldn't necessarily have the same type of laboratory he might have had at a different type of institution. But I love the way he improvised his work. And he improvised his work in a way that we could sustain, we could afford. And he also found ways to engage more students. So I loved hearing his story because I, I thought at the beginning of his story, it might come out as I can't get what I need here. And my immediate thought was, no, don't leave. And then, and then the story went to, but this is why I love McEwen, because I I figured this out and I figured that out and I'm having the time of my life, right? So, so obviously um, it depends on the discipline and it depends who you partner with. Um, and it depends, um, you know, if we rally together, uh, we can do what we can internally to help grow a critical mass in a particular area. Because universities are both deep and wide, right? So we have an incredible diversity of research output, but at the same time, we should be able to say to people, what are we really good at? 
What are we known for? And that shouldn't threaten others because it doesn't mean you can't work on what you want to work on, but it means you have a bit of a lead. So for example, you studied music. What, what's, what's McEwen University known for? I mean, there's room for all sorts of quirkiness, but it's also <laughs> important to say, hey, there's some things that are, are, are standouts. Yeah. And, and they we, lift everybody. We, we are the one of the top leading institutions for music um, production just based on how, how well our first facilities are equipped. Mm-hmm. Better than Berkeley, better than like many other of these prestigious uh, music institutions, just by on the technology alone mm-hmm. of that the community and that the that everyone has invested in this institution. So that's strategic choice. And that allows us to get stronger in a particular area, right? So so you know, in part, um, we go where our faculty go. Uh, what does administration do? What does leadership do? I, I think of it as um, understanding the ecosystem and looking for whatever you can do to nourish the people in that ecosystem. And like I said, it's okay for some things to, to rise above if that is perceived as fair and if that is perceived as kind of lifting all boats. I mean, and it's given us a fantastic opportunity to not only speak with researchers, but speak with people who are doing scholarly and creative activity. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned earlier that, you know, when I say research, it means all sorts of things. And it's the same thing for us. We are research recasted, but we've spoken to composers. We've Mm -hmm. spoken to creators and people who are doing things that don't fall under just qualitative or sorry, quantitative research. And it's been such a delight to learn about, you know, research being done on audio and sound and how sound travels and what that means to the human brain is just fantastic. Yeah, t- taking my the psychoacoustics <laughs> class here at McEwen was so <laughs> eye-opening for me because, you know, thinking about it from a psychological perspective was so new to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, sound was always subjective to me. Mm-hmm. And the, the physiological, uh, the, the the psychological side of things was never something that I really even thought about because, and that's the whole point of the class is like teaching you, you know, why we listen to things. Why why is it deemed that when you listen to music and they, they, they put something in the mix that's above you, why does that seem like it's like right in front of you? And <laughs> the most important thing, it's because as children, we grew up and our parents were tall and, and we were constantly looking up tor- towards our parents. So that was deemed as an important thing in our brain development. It was such an interesting thing that I learned. You just got me thinking about masks and all these young kids wearing masks and mm-hmm. seeing adults with masks and how that will impact their long-term development. But, you know, back to your question, you're saying, you know, what method, what methodologies should we, we focus on? And so my short answer, it depends. And I, I, I think, you know, where there's a will, we can rally and we can support. And I'm, I'm really thrilled. Uh, we have an allocation of four Canada research chairs. You may have already talked to Dr. Christopher Wells. I'm not sure. We have spoken with Dr. Chris Wells twice now. Oh, okay. Actually. Don't tell him that I haven't listened to him yet, but I do spend time You're with him. You're in for a treat. Those were some <laughs> of my favorite conversations. Well, that's good. So, you know, he's got the Center for Sexual and Gender Minority Studies. And, um, you know, I, I think, again, we're, we're known for that and uh, we have an impact on community and, you know, we're fundraising to even grow that program. And, if you establish centers of excellence, uh, you know, I, I think that is symbolic for people. And, um, you know, we, we should be talking about our excellence. So as president, I don't tell people what to research, but as president, I can read the tea leaves and I can do what I can to leverage uh, opportunities and incent certain opportunities. I can try and influence policy at Tri-Council. I can try and influence policy of the province. I can... Um, 
you know, help people critically review some of their ideas. The, the research office, um, you know, exists to help our researchers be more successful in ways that they define as success, right? Exactly. That's that's exactly it. Well, keeping with the the kind of the theme of different research methodologies, how does um, we're starting to move towards these these non-Western approaches to to research, such as uh, land-based learning, and how do, how does that fit into our strategic vision moving forward? I mentioned that uh, all universities teach research and serve the public good, and I should also say that. Um, you know, faculty um, are part of a collective agreement uh, where um, universities talk about that relative mix of teaching, research, and service. So whereas at the University of Alberta, most of those professors would be expected to spend 40% of their time teaching, 40% research, and 20% on service, here, most of our professors would be 60, 30, 10, not okay. all of our professors. So, so there, there are some, some guidelines around that, that relative mix. And so um, one of the things we often hear about is, is how um, performance in those areas is evaluated. Right. And generally speaking, in Western universities, it's all about peer review. And we have moved away to some degree from that publish or perish, but it, it mm. does depend on your discipline and how they see things. So in um, Alan Gilliland's world, you know, he composes music and he has a knowledge of the fundamentals and he moves the bar and, and he can point to things he's created and so can other people in, in the music department. And they have an appreciation for that. So, so they would see that uh, the right way. One of the things that um, I'm really impressed we've done, um, and, and the Union uh, Faculty Association is, 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 you know, we've signed an MOU on this, is we're now hiring Indigenous faculty that uh, sit in a department but also have as part of their service a commitment to Kehi Watson, right? So what I really like about that, it means we're bringing in Indigenous faculty. They um, are serving community in ways that um, they would like to, and they are a community unto themselves. So as a cohort, they have two homes, right? So this is new, this is innovative, and it's, it's another way of looking at service. So, you know, how does research uh, quality get recognized? Well, obviously, we try and attract people. They go through the tenure and promotion system. But it's also influenced by how the outside world recognizes research prowess. So, again, faculty members want to win money from Tri-Council to do their work. So, you know, we're not only influenced by ourselves, we're influenced by others, right? And um, I, I have seen phenomenal shifts in my career. And the thing about change is sometimes, you know, you have high expectations for things to change in a year, but you've kind of missed just how much things have changed in 10 years. Things have changed so much in the last 10 years. And one of the triggers in Canada for a, a big uh, switch in mindset around research was they started this Canada Excellence Research Chair, threw in a ton of money, and then for some reason, none of the recipients were women. And this raised a few eyebrows. This wasn't that long ago. And I remember being invited to a panel as a deputy minister. And, um, you know, I presented this idea at the time. I said, you know what's kind of wrong with our system? It's all based on this child prodigy model 
where you have to figure out what your passion is when you're nine and you just have to go at it <laughs> as deep as you possibly can, never veer off the track. There's no room to be a mother. There's no room to run for office. There's no room to go make a record. There's no room to do anything other than that thing you're 100% passionate about. But where does real innovation happen? It happens at the edges. It happens because you're a musician that's suddenly interested in psychoacoustics or something like that. <laughs> you know, that's where the real innovative edgy stuff happens, right? So attitudes are shifting. And I think in the collective agreements that uh, universities are negotiating with faculty, in tri-council programs and criteria, uh, in how peers are seeing one another, you know, these things are evolving, right? Absolutely. And I, I think... I was just going to say that really speaks to me. I really, uh, that was a great perspective on 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 that. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, coming to kind of bringing it a little bit back to, to the beginning is as a teaching first university, um, you know, there's the saying publish or perish. And some criticisms of, say, someone going to the U of A is that they never really interact with their teacher. It's a lot of TAs because the teachers are so busy pumping out research. So, you know, as our role, Teaching First University, how is McEwen balancing the priorities of our professors to publish research and put us on the map, but also make sure that a focus stays on teaching? <laughs> You know, part of it starts with hiring. And uh, at uh, UW and here, I sometimes meet people along their journey. And uh, I know with the Canada Research Chairs. And when I interact with them, you know, I, I say, do you love teaching? And if you don't love teaching, this isn't the place for you, to, to be honest with you. Um, so you, you have to pick people who, who really are super passionate about uh, teaching. And... Um, what can we do to, to support, uh, you know, I think part of it is, is um, valuing that diverse type of scholarly activity, um, incenting things the right way. And um, not everybody will be as research intensive, and that is perfectly fine, right? I, I think our system can have, um, and we do now, we have under the collective agreement um, three different types of workloads. And um, one of them is less research intensive. So part of that is, is thinking about what you actually need in a particular department, in a particular faculty, and looking at the sum of all of those parts and allowing room for difference, because that's what gives our system, our ecosystem resiliency, right? Absolutely. And there's the Board of Governors chair, which we got yeah. to speak with some um, last Some winners, year. yes. Yeah, yeah which is a really interesting, you know, taking a break from teaching, so to speak, to focus on research. But what struck me about that is that I think all of them still had students working with them yeah. in their research while they were not um, actively teaching. And it's just very impressive to me. I mean, I've never gone to another university, so I don't <laughs> have a comparison here, but... It seems like a good investment, you know? This seems like you're investing in your in your... Um, yeah. Everyone that we have ever talked to on the podcast has always had such a strong focus on their students and been impressed with the caliber of mm -hmm. student here. So, I mean, I've never had a TA 
at McEwen, I always just had my prof and they were doing research and writing books and, and working in newsrooms still. So, yeah. And that is one of McEwen's strategic advantages that I don't think is well enough understood. And what I hear from faculty is, you know, they want to be recognized. They want enough time to be able to do high quality research and scholarly work. And they want enough time to do their pedagogy um, the way um, they would like to keep it fresh. Right. So um, the world is under stress. I know the last two years have been particularly hard. Um, I think we've all surprised one another with what we are able to accomplish. Um, you know, it was its own experiential learning class that we were all a part of, whether we registered or not. So I am very mindful uh, that uh, we're entering a new decade. Oh, I shouldn't say we're entering. We're two years in. Uh, we're two years into the defining decade. Uh, people are, are, are a little bit tired, a little bit stressed, but at the same time, um, really pumped to be interacting again face-to-face -face with students. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping we've all individually and collectively learned a lot. But, but time, right? It, it is all about time and uh, where we shine the light. And, um, you know, sometimes people ask me what my role is as, as president to sort of signal some of these directions. And sometimes I say, you know, it's where you put your time and what you value and what stories you tell. So, you know, my commitment is I want to tell more stories about the um, incredible work that's happening here and why it matters. I love that. That's so great. Well, we appreciate your contribution. And um, your time. And your time, for sure. <laughs> um, there, are there any other points that we didn't talk about that you maybe want to want to highlight or something that you'd just like to convey to our listeners about our new path forward in our strategic vision or otherwise? I, I would say to students, find those opportunities to engage in research um, because the critical thinking skills, the design skills, designing a project, designing an experiment, the communication skills, the synthesis skills um, will really help you no matter where you go. If you have that ability to uh, discern information and to help others um, chart possible futures, uh, that, that's an amazing skill. So um, go for it, go for it, go for it. Uh, it's for everybody. In that sense, I just want to make a quick plug to the USRI Student Research Grant. Um, make sure to search that out if you are a student looking to do research. I myself uh, was a lucky recipient of the USRI grant, and it helped my research immensely in immersive audio. So if you're passionate about something, get in touch with your, <laughs> get in touch with your program chair and see how, how you can get involved with a USRI grant. Um, but other than that, I think that's all we have for today, unless there's anything else you'd like to mention. Before Parting we, words before we of wisdom. <laughs> uh, that was wonderful. Uh, no, uh, well, go out there, enjoy the summer, go find some blue-green algae, let me know where they are, and I'll come <laughs> and admire it with you. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Trimby. This, this has been another episode of Research Recasted. If you think this podcast is absolutely presidential, you can visit Research Recasted on your favorite podcast platform to find new episodes every two weeks. Also, check us out on Instagram at Research Recasted, where you can leave a like, give us a follow, or send us a message if you have any follow-up questions from today's episode. This has been Research Recasted, a knowledge mobilization podcast brought to you by the Office of Research Services and the Faculty of Fine Art and Communications at McEwen University. Research Recasted is hosted and produced by Dylan Cave and Brittany Eklund. 
Music, sound design, and editing are done by me, Dylan Cave, with research, copy editing, and scripting by Brittany Eklund. Our executive producer is Ray Barry. 